afternoon. Jeez, time slots really messing with me. Good afternoon and welcome into Hate the Player, Not the Game. As always, I am Lucas Owens here on this pretty chilly, uh, pretty chilly Thursday afternoon. Got some big powder in yesterday morning and, uh, you know, not falling down, but it is sticking down. So, gotta worry about that snow here in Columbia. Never get used to that. Never get used to that. But got a big show for you today. We're going to be talking some college football, specifically the situation, I guess you could call it a Tennessee. That's not, I would use probably some more choice words, but the situation at Tennessee and the SEC schedule being released. After that, looking in the general direction of the NBA for finally getting into some ceiling signs and MLB talk. So, first of all, we got to talk Tennessee because Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee is known for, uh, for uh, you know, not exactly being the best in college football lately. Um, yeah, so Tennessee... Uh, Kind of a kind of dumpster fire the past few weeks, you know, all of those allegations and uh, violations coming out, and then now you got um, you got their AD and their coach leaving. The AD retired, the coach got fired for cause. I think the cause is pretty clear. Um, and then so then they hired athletic director Danny White from UCF to be their athletic director. And then Danny White proceeded to hire Josh Heupel, who was previously UCF's head coach. So Danny White had hired him once before and then hired him again. Um, but uh, so apparently Danny White tried to get uh, tried to get a uh, lot of other people in, you know, Tony Elliott. <laughs> Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle, um, all of those people predictably turned down the Tennessee job because uh, Tennessee is going to be in a bad spot for a bit just because of violations and, you know, just where they are right now. Uh, and then this certainly doesn't help. And then they uh, pivoted to hiring Kaipel, which felt like a safe move for Danny White, to be honest, just because, I mean, Danny White obviously has experience with Kaipel. Kaipel will pretty clearly... Pretty clearly, take the job as soon as it's offered. Leave UCF as soon as possible after just three years. Yeah, three years. Um, yeah, you know, um, people are saying this was a surprise to them. I wasn't surprised. Once uh, Danny White went there, I kind of... You just got to think about it. Who would want to go to Tennessee right now? Except for somebody that already has a lot of loyalty with and for Danny White. So, um, you know, Heupel, I think, is a good coach. Obviously, people around here know him. He coached for a year or two uh, as the OC at Mizzou. Um, but uh, this is going to be a rough, rough call for him because, I mean, for having a 28-8 program, um, you know, uh, he's fairly unproven, I feel, because... I mean, of course, you have that first undefeated regular season before losing to LSU in the uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. Of course, that was a game that pretty much birthed Joe Burrow. Thanks, UCF. But um, the uh, the Gold, the Knights have uh, lost seven more games since then, uh, including four in 2026 and four in 2020, including a bad loss to BYU. Um, so. 
yeah, it's not a good situation to walk into, though, is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, Josh Heupel had it made with Scott Frotz's offense and uh, recruits, even some O'Leary recruits, somewhat, at UCF. Um, and now he's running into a situation where you have a Tennessee team that not only didn't do good last year, you know, got off to those uh, that 2-0 start, that big win over Mizzou. Certainly, and I can forget about that. And then fell off a cliff. Um, but now you have, now you have a team that is losing some of those pieces, and they're gonna have a hard schedule again last year, next year. Tennessee always has a hard schedule, especially for an SEC East team, considering that their protected rivalry is Alabama. Um, but you know, this is gonna be this is gonna be a reclamation project. I think it's pretty clear at Tennessee. Um, it's gonna take if Tennessee gets good under Hypel, it will take three to four years. Um, I mean, I think this will be similar to like, I mean, different situations, obviously. Um, but uh, what Matt Rule did at Baylor, um, you know, came in from Temple. He was pretty sought after, but not the most sought after. You kind of have to weather that storm for a few years based on the fallout they got at Baylor. And trust me, there was a lot of fallout at Baylor. And then, you know, he started achieving stuff. And I think Heupel could do that. I don't know if he will, but I think he could do that. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's just a weird hire for me. Um, not a surprising hire, but a weird hire. And I just don't really know what to think about it yet, obviously. Um it's going to take until at least he gets some recruits in there. This is not an opportune time to hire head coach just based on the recruiting schedule. So, I mean, things will be interesting for Tennessee. I think we'll see a fair amount of people leave like they have already have. Uh, I saw Kevin Steele has already left and collecting yet another buyout uh, for two weeks of work at Tennessee. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is just a weird time for the Tennessee Volunteers. I think they'll be able to weather it to an extent, and but what I mean by that is, they're gonna be f they're gonna be fine in the long run, at least compared to what they've been through past few years. Um, but it's gonna take them. It's gonna take them a bit. But aside from that, other SEC action, the SEC schedule was just released yesterday. Can't go over that for a bit, especially Mizzou. So. Mizzou starts off their season September 4th against Central Michigan. September 18th, Southeast Missouri State comes to Columbia. Get a little in-state visit there. That, um, in case you didn't know the State of Simo's program, that won't be a very good game. Um, September 25th, they visit Boston College. That's actually a game I'm very excited for. People are kind of sleeping on Boston College. Oh, look at that. SEC opener, October 2nd, Tennessee. October 9th, North Texas. October 16th, Texas A&M. So two straight weeks of Texas schools visiting. Then October 30th, the day before Halloween, Vanderbilt comes to Vanderbilt in Nashville. Then November 6th, they go to Georgia. November 13th, South Carolina visits. November 20th, Florida visits. And November 27th, they play Arkansas. For right now, that game is in Little Rock, Arkansas. So, a little bit of neutral side, but not really because it's in Little Rock instead of Highville. It's not like it's going to make that much of a difference if you think about who's going to 
Who's, what side, fan base is going to want to go to Little Rock more? I think it's pretty clear. It's going to be Arkansas. So, I mean, this schedule, the way I kind of look at it, you have those first five games. And people people think that's going to be a cakewalk. They didn't see Mizzou lose to Wyoming last year, clearly. this, I mean, this team is just not known for uh, winning games that should be cakewalks. Um Central Michigan, that one I'm excited about just because of uh, who, who's the coach of Central Michigan. Um, you know, just because Jim McElwain is quite the uh, extravagant person, if that's the way I would put it. Um, unless I am getting this wrong. Yep, Jim McElwain. Um, yeah, that was uh, quite the story at Florida. Um, you know, but he's done a good job at Central Michigan, I would say. Central Michigan, not exactly the uh, not exactly the prize of the MAC, but they are a uh, they are a good team. Um, you know, they've had uh, they've had some good seasons. Of course, they got to the MAC championship a few years ago, so that's not going to be as much of a cakewalk as people would like to think. Definitely not. Um, the Chippewas will come into town. They'll be, it's an SEC team, so they're going to try to win. And uh, I sh I'm actually kind of looking forward to Central Michigan. I mean, I just like the MAC, though. Um, Southeast Missouri State, uh, similar but FCS level. Um, last time they played Southeast Missouri State, uh, pretty clear finish, so won't be surprised by that. At Boston College will be fairly, very interesting. I mean, we don't know what the state of things is. Are, is going to be like in September is part of, part of the reasoning behind this. But Boston College could, that could be a full crowd at Boston College, or that could be the ACC. They don't even play the game, but I have a feeling they will, and there will just be a limited crowd. I mean, that's a long way in the future, so it's useless to think that far out, but it could be interesting. Not really a true world game in that sense. Uh, Tennessee, um, that game should be go a little better for Mizzou than it did this last year, um, just based on the fact that that was one of the games Mizzou didn't really know how to uh, how to use Connor Bazelak and Sean Robinson. I think they started with Sean Robinson, and then Bazelak came in. Then it became pretty clear that Bazelak was going to be the first option. Uh, North Texas. North Texas is an interesting game for Mizzou because North Texas has a great offense and one of the worst defenses in the country. So if Mizzou's offense can't do stuff against North Texas, I think we need to be sounding the alarms. Uh, Texas A&M, that should be another fun game. Of course, former Big 12 Conference foe. I haven't played them since, like, 2014. Um, they get to come visit Columbia. That should be fun. Vanderbilt, it's Vanderbilt. They, uh, unless things happen like they did, not this past year, but, you know, when Mizzou lost to Vanderbilt, uh, I wasn't even in Columbia that night. But um, when they lost to Vanderbilt, that was not the fun. That was the beginning of the end for uh, Barry Odom's tenure at Mizzou. So hopefully they don't lose at Vanderbilt again. At Georgia, uh, yikes, based on how this year's game against Georgia went. And Georgia is supposed to be better next year, not worse. So that is a uh, that is not a game... That should be very fun for the Tigers, I'm guessing. Uh, South Carolina, um, South Carolina, like Vanderbilt, rebuilding year, kind of down the dumpster. 
Florida, that should be an interesting game because Florida's, Florida's a team that was really good this last year, and then I think they're losing a lot of pieces. So should be one that is winnable for Mizzou, especially at home in November. I mean, depends on the weather, obviously. And then at Arkansas, you know, got to get that uh, borderline rivalry in. Uh, I honestly forget the name of that rivalry all the time. But that should be a good game just because I, I like what Sam Pittman's building at Arkansas. Um, you know, they, they were 3-7 and seven or something this year. But, I mean, they they played good. They played a lot closer than I think a lot of people expected. They had a few losses that don't make sense looking back at it. But very interesting. Um, outside of that, I mean, we got Alabama playing Miami and Atlanta. That's always going to be fun. Arkansas is playing Texas. Of course, probably not the uh, school in the SEC that most people wanted to see play Texas. Uh, you know, Auburn got Georgia State. Florida is placing, playing Alabama as their cross robbery next year. Georgia is uh, playing Clemson. Uh, you know, um, something that was actually missed in the Mizzou that I forgot. Kentucky is playing Mizzou in September. Kentucky... Not the best last year. That should be fine for Mizzou. Um, I do not know why the schedule is written so wrong. But, um, yeah, so the SEC is very interesting this year. I'm very excited to see what happens. Um, hopefully they get to play some out-of-conference games because that gives us more of a feel of where the SEC is at, especially after this bowl season. Uh, I don't think the bowl season is just enough to kind of get where each conference is in terms of pecking order. But aside of that, it's time for a break. After the break, looking in the general direction of the NBA. Welcome back to Hate the Player, Not the Game. As always, Lucas Owens. Looking in the general direction of the NBA time. So, um, in case you have your head under a rock, uh, the Utah Jazz have been winning a lot of games lately. Uh, they have managed to catapult themselves into number one in the Western Conference somehow. After, you know, not the best of starts, I would say. And, uh, man, this, this is a really good team. I think the team has what it takes this year. But before getting into that, let's just recap the standings. Got the Utah Jazz below them, the LA Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets rounding out the top four, Trailblazers at five, Warriors at six, Spurs at seven, Grizzlies at eight, Suns at nine, and Thunder right now at ten. Ten, of course, being the spot where, you know, got to get in that play in tournament want to have any chance all right moving on to the eastern conference we've got the 76ers far and away the best team in the eastern conference right now 13-6 in first place and we got the bucks below them the pacers the brooklyn nets rounding at the top four at five the celtics 60 young upstart cleveland cavaliers and by young and upstart i mean they have a few players that are young and a lot of very old veterans uh number seven the probably younger atlanta hawks uh, number eight, the New York Knicks. Number nine, the Orlando Magic. And number 10, just hanging in there. 
everybody's favorite Chicago Bulls. And then, you know, below that, you got the Raptors and the Heat. They'll make it eventually. Um, a lot more movement is going to happen in the East, I'll say, because the East is just always the weaker conference for some reason. But let's talk NBA. So, Utah Jazz. This, uh, you know, people, the Utah Jazz have been good for the past few years. And then people got mad at them for some reason for signing Rudy Gobert to an extension. Like, that was going to really alter their, uh, alter their standings much. And this isn't like they've added any pieces. They've just finally had some of their pieces that had been struggling are not performing up to the level that they should have been. Those are finally getting them over the hump to win more games because, I mean, you got they've been closing out games a lot better, I will say, but they've been they've just been a good team too. So, I mean, looking at points, you got Donovan Mitchell with 23.4, Jordan Clarkson with 17.9, but then you got Mike Conley with 16.6. That's a big improvement. You also got six assists per game from Conley, which is huge because that's what Conley's there for. And that's kind of... Conley... I mean, I think he could have done good in Utah last year, but um, he's really stepping into that role well now with Utah, and that's helping them. And then you just look at their schedule. They beat the Warriors by, like, 20 points. They beat the Knicks. That's not that hard. They beat the Mavericks by 12. They beat the Hawks by 116-92. to That's a good Hawks team. They beat Denver 109-105, not the... Not the biggest of margins, but still Denver's a really good team. That was on the road. We got New Orleans, uh, 118-102 and 129-118. These are not bad teams. They are not beating down bad teams. They beat the Cavaliers just like two weeks ago, 117-87. to Like, the Utah Jazz are not beating up on bad teams. The Utah Jazz are just a good team. And I think they're going to ride this into either a one or a two seed. Um... And I think the Jazz are a real threat to what I would presume are the champion favorites in the Lakers this year. Um, moving on to the Lakers, though, they've been doing pretty good lately until they lost by one against Philadelphia. Um, you know, Sixers, though, probably the favorites in these. We'll get to the Sixers in a bit. But, I mean, the Lakers this year are just... Like, people get on them about that 45-day uh, rest period and how that was very short and how that's going to affect them. You got a lot of pieces here that I think are contributing in, you know, good ways, at least are putting in minutes that um, that didn't play on that team. I mean, Montrezl Harrell and Dennis Schroeder both were not on that last team, and they're, like, top four in points and top four in minutes. Um, you know, you got Wesley Matthews, too, Marcus Gasol, and then you got all your pieces from last year. And, I mean, it's no surprise the Lakers are doing this good because they're still a good team. And, honestly, I don't think they ever got off that, you know, on-season playoff program. They kind of just kept rolling. And, I mean, I don't, I don't really see any problems with them. I guess Anthony Davis could be producing a little better, but... I mean, he's still putting up a player efficiency rating of 25.07. So, not really uh, not really worried about him. Uh, I think the minutes later down the stretch could affect them. I think they're going to need to start, uh, start doing some load management because, I mean, with how much they played last year and how 
close it was to the start of this season, I think LeBron and Anthony Davis could be at risk to burn themselves out. But who do? what do I know? I'm always wrong. Um, all right, moving on to another very good team in the uh, Rocky Mountain area, the uh, Denver Nuggets. This team, um, this team is exciting to watch. I mean, it's not exactly like it's a uh, like it's a revelation that the Nuggets are good. Um, they've been good. They beat the Clippers last year in the playoffs, of course, but I, they didn't get off to the best start. So that's why people are happy that the Denver Nuggets are now 11 and seven in third in the Western Conference. Or excuse me, they are tied and they are fourth in the Western Conference. I'm a little bit below the uh, Clippers. Um, but they've been on a win streak lately. Um, a win streak on the road, no less. So that always helps. I mean, not necessarily the greatest competition, but good competition. They played the Jazz close. They beat the Warriors. Played the Nets close. Um, but this is, a, uh, this is a good Nuggets team. I mean, it's really just more of the same, just like the Lakers with uh, Joe Kick and Murray. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is getting more touches, which is always good for him. I'm sure Mizzou Faithful are very happy about that. Um, so this is just a uh, this is just a well-rounded team, I feel like, and uh, I think they're gonna probably make another deep run in the playoffs, at least in the second round. I feel, I think, just because, I mean, they're a good team, um, and so I mean, yeah, they're just well-rounded. They don't score necessarily the most amount of points, but they play good defense. Jokic is, you know, one of the best players in the NBA always, I feel like. So, good for him. But, moving on, got to get this rolling a little bit. Jeez, Philadelphia 76ers, 13-6, first in the Eastern Conference, first in the Atlantic Division. Divisions don't matter in the NBA. Um you know, they've been rolling. They've been beating up on the Celtics, on the Pistons, on the Heat. Um, yeah, they've looked really good. They haven't looked invincible yet. I mean, that's just kind of how the Eastern Conference is. Um, I don't think you can take too much from the regular season for the Eastern Conference, to be honest. Um, of course, I mean, they're playing good. And they're playing good on the road, which, if you didn't know, they played terrible on the road last year. So, that's good to see for the 76ers. Um I mean, people were kind of discussing with that Harden trade, like, they were, like, um, what do you call it? Ben Simmons really wasn't working with Joel Embiid. They're working fine. Uh, Simmons just needs needs to keep getting more confident with the shot, and I think things will be good for the 76ers. Moving on quickly to the Pacers. This is a team that has surprised many because of their playoff exit last year. You know, getting swept by the Heat. That should have been more of a sign, I feel like. Um, But... Uh, this is a good Pacers team, and uh, I mean, 22 points a game for Malcolm Brogdon and 20 for Sabonis. They lost, just lost Oladipo. They brought in Levert, though. Levert's going to be out for a bit because of lung cancer. Um, or, sorry, a tumor on his lung. Or, no, I'm saying that wrong, but an issue with his lung He's going to be out for a bit. Everything's fine, though, so he should be back in some capacity after he, you know, goes to rehab and gets back up to playing speed. So that should be a good get for the Pacers because they're playing great without him, and if they add in Levert, I think they can really contend for the Eastern Conference. Finally, last up, we got the Atlanta Hawks at 500, 9-9. Nine nine. Um, 
yeah, Atlanta, I mean, they're, of course, they're doing a lot better than they did last year because last year they didn't even make the bubble. But so this year, I mean, they're just developing that young that young core. Every team has a young core, but this team especially does. Uh, Trey Young, of course, just keeps finding ways to get better. DeAndre Hunter, though, um, man, he's taken a real big step forward. Clint Capella was a great addition for them. And then you just got a lot of role players like Kevin Herter, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich running enough recently. Um, Danilo Gallinari and Bogdan Bogdanovich have been hurt, though. So that, you know, always hurts them. But they've just been a uh, they've just been a pretty fun team to watch lately, and that's why I want to talk about them. But that is all I have for looking in the general direction of the NBA. After the break, we're going to be talking some MLB ceiling signs with some off-season moves, uh, remembering Henry Hank Aaron and the Hall of Fame controversies. Thank you for listening to KCOU 88.1 FM. Got some stuff you just gotta try. What is it? Pot. You know, marijuana. Oh, well, I don't know. What? Chicken? Joey's in a jam. What should he do? Okay. Uh, Get a pizza. Excellent. Get a pizza. Get real. You got it. Let's see if Joey's that smart. Uh, I'm not chicken. You're a turkey. He's right. Drug dealers are dorks. Don't even talk to him. Cowabunga! Right. Good afternoon yet again. Welcome back to Eight the Player, Not the Game. Let's look into some ceiling signs. MLB baseball, MLB offseason. So the offseason pitchers and catchers will hopefully report in about a month, though. So that's a uh, that's a good thing to be waiting for, and that's something I am uh, you know looking forward to. Very much looking forward to. Um, let's get into some of the acquisitions you know. Things just going on right now. So Tommy LaSella and the my San Francisco Giants have finalized a contract. Or they are finalizing a contract for him to join on a three-year deal. It's very good because the Giants don't have a lot of players uh, contract down in 2022. I don't think it's very much anybody. This is a, one of the first long-term deals that Farhan Zaidi has made. Or I guess the Giants have made under Farhan Zaidi. But... I mean, looking at Tommy LaSella, his numbers won't jump out to you, but he's a good position player. He, I mean, he, by that, I mean he plays defense well. And he's a serviceable hitter. He's somebody that I think they'll probably platoon, and he's a lefty, and the Giants very much need a lefty. Um, a lefty who also throws right, so you can play him at third base, which I think they're going to want to do because of just everything that's going on with the Giants infield. It definitely helps them round out the infield, though. Um, so that's always good to see. Um, some other things is uh, Giants are apparently looking into uh, looking into some outfielders um, lately. Uh, so, you know, you got Jackie Bradley Jr., who's still on the market, Um you got Jock Peterson still on the market. You got players like that. And what I think, uh, what I think is interesting about the outfield market right now is because I, I mean, of course, you saw, um, you saw Springer and you saw Brantley sign. Um, nobody else really has uh, outfield wise. Um, so it should be, uh, 
it should be fine. They, uh, it should be fine for them. Uh, otherwise, I don't want to talk too much about the Giants. Don't want to show too much of my bias. Uh, Masahiro Tanaka has returned to Japan after seven years. Um, you know, it's a good career in the States for him. What's surprising to me is because I remember everybody remembers him being on the being on the Yankees for just so long. Said he did not actually win a championship with the Yankees. That's crazy to me. Um, he's definitely had a good career stateside. Um, believe he's playing for two years on a two-year deal with in Japan, so that'll probably round out his playing career. Um, regardless, great career in the MLB for Masahiro Tanaka. All right. We've passed that to Toronto Blue Jays, have acquired starter Steven Matz from the New York Mets for a few prospects in shooting Sean Reed Foley, who I think people in the uh, Mets organization were probably the most high on. Um, so that's a, uh, that's a good deal for them. I think that's a, that's a good deal for them. It clears up a spot on the rotation for the Mets. Uh, you know, if they want to go after Bauer, I don't think they... I think they probably won't, but I think mean, I think they're gonna go after Bauer. I don't think they'll end up with him, uh, but uh, it does make things very interesting, regardless. All right, after that, J.T. Romuto has re-signed with the Philadelphia Phillies, five-year, $115.5 million deal. That is a uh, that's a good deal for them. I think that's a that's something they like. Um, they kind of they needed to bring him back because it's like if you don't bring him back, you're gonna have to find a catcher anyway. The problem with the Phillies is that they're they don't have a lot of money right now, and uh, they need a bullpen still because that's always what has held the bull- Phillies back the past few years, especially last year. Um, so you know it's just very interesting. Uh, you know, except for that, we still got players like Justin Turner, again, Jock Peterson, KK Hernandez, still on the market. Um, you got players like Trevor Bauer, still on the market. Um, you got players that uh, could be moved still. Um, I think Chris Bryan is probably at the top of most people's list. Um, Marcelo Zuna, still on the, uh, still on the block. Uh, you know, things are moving in the MLB, but... It's gonna it's gonna keep going slow. It's gonna keep going very slow. That's kind of just how the MLB offseason works. People are so used to the uh, specifically the ML- NBA offseason where you have the day where you can start signing free agents and within 15 minutes all of the best players are signed, except for that one year Kawhi Leonard kept holding on. Um, so just just very interesting to watch the MLB. But aside from that, this week actually. Just after, pretty much just after I got done with a show, just day after. Um, Hank Aaron sadly passed away, and this uh, this one really, this one hurts. Um, I mean Hank Aaron, regardless of what you think of him, he's one of the, he's at least top five players. He's on Mount Rushmore for baseball, and so obviously this hurts. He has his number retired everywhere, um, and you know. Only one World War series, which is kind of surprising, but um, just a fantastic player on the uh, Milwaukee Braves and then the Atlanta Braves, obviously, and then the Milwaukee Brewers for two seasons. But you know, it's just sad to see. Um, 
I mean, obviously, when you talk about Hank Aaron, people, I don't think a lot of people really, he only won one MVP. He kind of only hit 40 home runs a season at most. Um, but what always was great about Hank Aaron was just he was consistent. He hit so much, so many home runs from 1955 to 19, like 1974 and 1975, and then he started tapering off a little bit. Um, but, I mean, that's just remarkably consistent. And he's the number two, number two all-time, obviously, for home runs, 25-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, two-time batting title. I mean, come on. Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron's obviously one of the best to ever play it. Second on home runs, um, depending on who you talk to, they feel they should be first. I think you still got to respect Barry Bonds, but obviously Henry Aaron had a fantastic career. Um, and what he dealt with when he was on his chase to uh, get past uh, get past Babe Ruth is obviously interesting and tragic to think about all the stuff he had, him and his family had to endure. Um, but, you know, a life well spent for Hank Aaron, um, and uh, you will definitely be Miss Amarin Kink. Right after the break, and be talking some Hall of Fame. Thank you for listening. All right, welcome back to Hate the Player, not the game. Sorry about that. Um, time to talk some baseball Hall of Fame to round things out. Um, so obviously, in case you've uh, in case you haven't been paying attention, nobody made the Hall of Fame this year. Um, I I saw a few people that were surprised by this. I wasn't. Um. I mean, I was surprised Kirk Schilling got so close, but I really wasn't that surprised. But, uh, so, I mean, it's like the first time this happened, this happened in a bit. There was one year, a few years ago, that uh, nobody made it. Uh, there's been a lot of people inducted lately, um, and this was just a down here year for the Hall. So, um, I mean, it's not the most surprising. But, so I kind of just want to run through things. So, I mean... I see arguments why most of these players shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Um, and I think they're pretty clear. Uh, and it's just a weird it's a weird thing to talk about. Because, I mean, Kurt Schilling, you have the whole thing with, uh, you know, supporting the insurrectionists at the Capitol. Um, racism in the past. But great career, so I get why he was that close to 75%. Uh, Barry Bonds, you have the PED use, obviously, and you also have just uh, everything going on with uh, him and Son Bonds. You got some domestic violence accusations there. Uh, Roger Clemens, again, PED use, just one vote below Bonds at 61.6%. But you got PED use there. You got domestic violence there, um, allegedly grooming somebody. And then here's Scott Rowland, I think is probably the first person jumps out to me like, oh, he's going to make the Hall of Fame. Because Scott Rowland, just where he's at right now, he's on pace. He's definitely on pace. He's only been on the ballot for a few years, and he's already at 52%. He'll eventually make it in. I mean, you, somebody that was, I mean, he was overshadowed by, uh, by Chipper Jones at his own position. For a bit, but Scott Rowland will make it eventually. Seven times All Star, eight times Gold Glove, one World Series, one time Silver Slugger. He'll make it. Omar Vizquel, 
domestic violence accusation. Todd Helton, I think he has a chance. Gary Sheffield. Andrew Jones. Just, I don't want to keep repeating myself. Then you got Jeff Kent, who media members don't like. I think he has a resume. Then you got Manny Ramirez. Uh, PDs. Sammy Sosa. PDs. Andy Petit. PDs. And then after that, it just drops to below 10%. So I don't think those guys really have a chance. Um, but so I don't think the Hall of Fame necessarily has a voter problem. I think it has a not enough players that are good enough to get in problem. Uh, and I mean, looking at next year, the two noble additions uh, are going to be David Ortiz and they're going to be Alex Rodriguez. Neither of those, if those guys get in, they won't get in first ballot. Um, so I think we might look at that next year. Unless Roland makes some big gains or Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens get in finally, I think we're going to be looking at an empty hall next year. But that is all I have for Hate the Player and Not the Game. Thank you for listening. As always, I have been Lucas Owens. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. As always, stay safe and stay healthy. As soon as I can get this to work. Adios.